0: Thanks for listening in. My name is Ashwin Chandran. I'm a lead developer on Team Ignite. Our guest today is Jeff Bramble, who is the head of the Solution Architect Group, and uh, we're going to talk about about all things architecture, our cloud platform, Salesforce and Cino, and all the changes that we've been seeing lately going forward with the company. Jeff, as we start, can you get into a little bit about why we're talking about architecture and maybe a little bit of the work we're doing there?
1: Sure, Ashwin. I'd be happy to talk all things architecture with you today. And real quick though, for those who may not know me or maybe haven't known me very long, I'll give a little bit of a history of myself with Farm Credit. So I started with Farm Credit Services back in 2004 as a contractor as a developer. Worked for about 14 months and then hired on full time as a full time employee so i've been with the company just over 15 years as a full time employee worked as a developer lead developer ultimately as an architect and now my current role as leading the solutions architecture team so that's kind of the quick summary of myself at farm credit i've seen lots of projects over the years as you might expect and so when you think about architecture today things are drastically different than they were let's say you know 15 years ago as you might suspect so when I think about large projects, you know, I, I go back to roughly 2005, 2004, to 2005. There was a, a pretty good push to get out. Well, actually, I'm going to, you can cut that part out. Yeah. I'm going to go back to, so when I think about large projects, I go back to 2005 when we released a project that had been worked on for, you know, two or three years that was called Connect4. Connect4 is ultimately what turned into what is today agrolytic, agronomics, and a, a few other products that kind of went along for the ride. So our retail loan origination system and financial analysis tools and things like that. And I would say up until recent history, that's probably been the largest thing I've seen really worked on at our company until more recently with the DNA implementation to replace our loan accounting system which previously existed on the mainframe. That was also a very large implementation. And now we're taking on some additional very large implementations of, for example, Salesforce. That's replacing our uh, CRM solution that we've had for many, many years, you know, measured in decades. And we are also in the process now of essentially replacing what we did with Connect Four with a platform called Encino, which sits on top of Salesforce. The reason I bring all of that up is because those are very large implementations that have a lot of interdependencies, and for all of that to be successful, uh, not only now but also in the future, you want to ensure that the, the underlying architecture is of a very sound and solid design so things essentially play nicely with one another you know, as we move along uh, this progression from where we're at now to where you might call it finished, even though you could probably argue You know, architecture is never really finished. So where I'm going with that is that uh, with with all the moving pieces and all the interdependencies, it's, it's very important to have a very solid focus on architecture and the things that make up the various tools and platforms that we are utilizing today, such that we're not painting ourselves into a corner, if you will, down the road. So ultimately, architecture is here to help teams uh, design solutions that not only satisfy the needs of our business for today, but can also hopefully easily pivot and satisfy the needs of the business for tomorrow, whatever that might be. And if you've been with Farm Credit Services America for any amount of time, you know that, you know, while we'll have a, a business direction one year, the next year, it might be something else that we're focusing on, whether it's something for a particular segment of customers or a particular business unit or whatever that might be. And so we don't want to create solutions that are so tightly bound to one another that when the business comes along and asks for us to change direction, that we have to essentially undo everything we've done or worse yet, you know, maybe uh, cobble it all together in a very brittle fashion, um, you know, hoping that it all works in the end. We would much rather have a solid architectural foundation that's taken all of these various factors into account so that as we do get new business requirements, the, the foundation or platforms that we have today can easily support those new requirements.
0: So that sounds like quite the undertaking, Jeff. Can you talk a little bit about the individuals that are coordinating this work and, and what their roles are?
1: Sure. Yeah. From a And I'll, I'll speak to it from primarily an architecture point of view. Because, as you might expect, with Salesforce replacing our you know current CRM solution, as well as now the Encino implementation, which will ultimately replace all of our existing loan origination systems, there's a lot of people, a lot of teams, not only within the business technology teams, but a lot of business-focused and retail teams that are involved in this process. So it would be hard to name everyone involved. But from an architecture point of view, <clears throat> I want to back up just a little bit. You know, I mentioned I hired one as an architect, you know, several years back now, Russ Wagner, who is our current CIO, chief information officer, hired me as an architect several years ago. And we were a team of two over the years. We grew a little bit and I'm in my position now. And the solutions architecture team is comprised of myself and four other enterprise architects. And recently, like as in essentially this year, We've also expanded the roles of architecture across business technology. So we've hired in several other specific domain architects on on teams outside of my team. And for example, hopefully I don't miss anyone, but we have, for example, a security architect. We have a cloud systems architect. We have a open position for a data architect. We haven't actually hired that position yet, but we'll be coming. We have essentially a Salesforce solutions architect and a security architect. So something else that we've done then recently is we formed a team called the architecture review team, which is made up of all of these architecture roles that I just mentioned, as well as a couple other roles. For example, we have an application security engineer, and then our uh, VP of database also sits on the architecture review team. Altogether, it's about 15 people that make up the architecture review team. And so all of these architects work not only together, but also apart. And then sometimes, you know, subgroups within this architecture review team, which kind of span all the various domains that are already listed. And obviously Salesforce is high highly in focus right now because of the implementations we're going through. It's these architects that are all talking to each other constantly and then one piece I don't want to miss, too, is our lead developers that all reside with our applications development teams. While they don't have the term architect in, in their title, their job description, they are essentially, and obviously Ashwin, you are one of them, essentially you guys are applications architects, and that's the way we, we look at lead developers is, hey, you guys are the applications architects, you guys are designing you know, the solutions that's very specific to whatever the, the business problem and domain you're working on at the time. So we're all working together constantly, communicating constantly, lots of touch points to help ensure that we're all kind of moving in the same direction and trying to achieve the same goals uh, in the end. Because in the end, as I mentioned earlier, you know, we wanna make sure that the various systems all play nicely with one another. And we also want to bring efficiencies to the organization through the architecture that we adopt, if you will, and, you know, some simple examples of that might be, hey, we want to do something like event-driven architectures. So let's pick an event-driven platform such as Kafka, and let's all use it rather than having multiple platforms that, you know, some teams understand one and some te- you know, some teams understand another one. You know, in this way, we know everything's going to play nicely together. Everybody's learning the same, whether it's tools, processes, or whatever. But it's this architecture review team that really helps drive a lot of that adoption and direction of things to help ensure that we're doing things in a, not only an efficient manner, but in a way that, you know, know, solves for the needs of the organization for the the here and now, as well as into the future.
0: Jeff, can you tell us a little more about the architecture review team and how that team came into being?
1: Sure. Yeah. So the architecture review team was formed to essentially kind of bring some things together under one roof, if you will, and to also uh, make sure that certain things or activities whatever even might want to call it, were actually happening that sometimes would, maybe sometimes wouldn't. So for example, you know, we have buy versus build decisions all the time, right? You know, does it make sense to build something in house or is there a solution out there? you know, a third-party solution or a vendor solution that provides, you know, maybe 80% or more of the functionality that the business needs. And previously, you know, we would spin up, you know, work groups here and there to kind of go off and do research and maybe some development prototyping and ultimately come back and present a recommendation. But that R&D didn't always happen in the same way and they didn't always ask like the same types of questions to essentially address the need in the same way. So there, there wasn't a lot of uh, consistency there necessarily. Not that we weren't successful, but again, a lot of this is to kind of build efficiencies. So there's probably ways to be more efficient, and by having the architecture review team you know, play a, a big part in that, we can help drive it in a certain direction. Add in, you know, the evaluation of just various tools, platforms, development capability, or excuse me, deployment capability. Again, providing that, that uh, consistent rigor that kind of helps us always ask the same types of questions to make sure that the, the concerns that need to be addressed are being addressed. And again, because we have such a good cross-section of the various domains within the architecture review team, we're making sure that, you know, security is being addressed, the data needs are being addressed, you know, the app dev needs are being addressed, and so on and so forth. You know, and there's other things as well, you know, some of the folks listening to this might be familiar with our current technology radar that we have, for example. And something else that the architecture review team is kind of charged with doing is helping to ensure that our technology stack is visualized in a way that anyone that needs to understand what are available to them uh, can be discovered in an easy manner. And so as a kind of a really recent decision that the architecture review team has made is, hey, we're gonna go off and purchase this tool called Stackshare, and that's going to replace our existing technology radar. And that's gonna give us the ability to essentially visualize all of the tools that we utilize within business technology. Um, It's not just application development tools, but everything. So for example, there's certain tools that maybe ELT uses that might have overlap with other tools. And that's something else that this is gonna provide to us is the ability to say, you know what, we've got five tools that do essentially the same thing. Do we really need those five tools? So the architecture review team can drive those conversations and, and help determine: Do we need those five tools, or can we gain some efficiencies by maybe having one, or maybe two, or whatever the right number is? And you know, whether that's reducing cost, or that cognitive load, or whatever. You know, the ability for teams to kind of speak the same language, if you will. You know, hey, you're on LeanKit, I'm on Azure Boards, and you're on you know Miro Boards, and you know, maybe some other teams on something else. I'm just using that as an example. Um, But then also to provide, you know, guidance around architectural processes, you know, we have um, uh, something today called the Technology Architecture Proposal or TAP document. That more or less came into being because, you know, there are several cases, and I wouldn't say it's, you know, completely out of hand or wasn't completely out of hand, but we've had, you know, multiple cases where, you know, these tools kind of just get purchased and they never really went through any kind of rigor of, well, should we be purchasing that tool to begin with? Do we already have something, you know, that satisfies the needs? So the technology architecture proposal or TAP document kind of forces, you know, the the process of going through and answering a lot of questions that's in this document, and sometimes they won't all be applicable, but many of them will. And then that goes back to the architecture review team, for example, for review where they have an opportunity to ask lots of questions, and in the end, you know, hey, this, this is an awesome thing. Let's, let's go forth and do it. Um, or it might be, well, you know what? We've already got something else that essentially does this. Let's use that instead of getting something
0: else. Yeah, thanks a lot for that, Jeff. Yeah. Okay, so as we think about architecture more holistically, can you talk a little about where we are right now and how we plan to transition to our future state?
1: But, so I report to Russ, Russ Wagner. And Russ Wagner is our you know, chief information officer. And one of the things he's asked me to help ensure that we are doing within solutions architecture and architecture, you know, across all of business, uh, excuse me, business technology, is that we are essentially creating a holistic view of our enterprise and something that can provide not only our, our current state, if you will, our current state architecture, but then also our future state architecture and then when you think about, okay, we've got current state and future state, how do we get from point A to point B? Well, you have those roadmaps in between. And so previously, you know, prior to, let's say, several months ago, let's say, you know, 2019 and prior, you know, we would occasionally have current state architecture type diagrams and things like that when we start talking about, hey, let's build this system, or well, what should it look like? Well, let's build it and then, and then essentially you know, push it out there, if you will. But that didn't necessarily take into account like where you wanted to go in the future. It was more the, the here and now. What, what do we want right now? So something we are striving toward now is kind of this multi-phased approach of let's determine where we're at now. So let's get a clear picture of what our current state architecture is. And based on the things we know, and some of those things are the easy ones like Salesforce and Encino, so based on some of these things that we know, where do we want to be? And that's the part we're really focusing probably a lot on right now. The, the current state, much of that's already, uh, it's known, it's documented. It's not necessarily all in one place, and that's another problem that we are also working on. I can come back to that here in a bit if we'd like to. But most of that current state, you know, I would say is, uh, is documented and known. There's exceptions to that, but primarily. But the future state is something that we need to focus on quite a bit. And it, it's easy to kind of go, okay, Salesforce, we just need to get what was in you know, relationship, our current CRM solution, into Salesforce. And Encino is a little different. It's a little more challenging because within Encino, we're saying we need to take all the capabilities of various tools such as Credit Path, which is our Agribusiness Capital Loan Origination System, or Agrolytic for retail loans, and then AgDirect Agrolytic for our AgDirect-based loans and leases, and get all of that capability baked into Encino. But what we want to do is take the opportunity to do it in such a way that we're not necessarily just taking what we have today and moving it straight over to Encino. We want to take the time to go, you know what, do we need to change any of our processes to become more efficient? Uh, And An easy example of that is something that uh, another team called the Enterprise Lending Framework Team or ELF, something this team had done several months back, is they went through this work group process of determining, hey, can we have retail, ag direct, and agribusiness capital essentially all use the same process when it comes to originating loans? And the short version of the answer is yes, yes, they can. So in Encino, we're going to have a single process that satisfies all of these rather than moving over three different processes. Well, you can have that same type of concept translate to the architecture as well. So as we move things into the future state, well, do we want to take the existing architecture we've been using for years or do we want to consider newer architectures uh, that will better enable us to address the current needs as well as future needs and allow us to be more agile or more nimble so we can adapt to changing business needs over time. And I already mentioned event-driven architectures earlier. That's kind of an easy example of something that we want to include in our future state. Um, Architectures and directions, for example, is event-driven architectures, um, as well as myriad other things. So that's an area we're focusing on quite a bit. And then Kind of the next logical step of that, and and a lot of this stuff happens concurrently, but the next logical step is kind of that roadmap in between. Well, we have current state. We're defining some future state. Well, how do we get from point A to point B? So we got to kind of build that roadmap. And sometimes it's as easy as here's a current state architecture and our future state architecture, and getting from point A to point B is just a matter of, well, let's just implement point B. Um, but more often than not, you have to have transitional architectures, meaning you can't just go from point A to point B. You might have to go to point A1, point A2, and then to point B. And that's where it gets tricky because there, there's a lot of things in motion here. And, for example, as we move certain pieces of functionality into Encino, like for today we're moving you know, agribusiness capital functionality into Encino, We have to make sure that Agrolytic and AgDirect Agrolytic continues to work and function just as it does today because we can't disrupt, you know, those lines of business. And it's not only for us when you think about Agrolytic, we have our partners such as Farm Credit Mid-America that's also using Agrolytic, so we can't disrupt them. So you have these transitional architectures and that gets even more challenging in the next phase of Encino where we're going to say, okay, now we're going to move Agrolytic into Encino. But at the same time, we can't get rid of Agrolytic because Mid-America is going to continue to use Agrolytic for the next, you know, foreseeable future for at least, I don't know, give or take a couple years. Don't know what that exact time is going to be, but let's call it a couple years. So those transitional architectures really, really need to be thought through uh, fairly thoroughly because we're going to have things moving while other things are changing. You know, you hear the analogy all the time of trying to change your, your tires or whatever on your car while your car is moving. You know, that's essentially what's happening here. We're essentially trying to take away Agrolytic while, you know, our, our own teammates as well as other companies are making use of Agrolytic. And so that this whole holistic architecture is taking all of those things into account, making sure that people are aware of them as those architectures are being developed, helping the the other teams and teammates that are kind of developing those architectures kind of see that big picture so they can make sure they're not... I guess leaving something out or not taking something into consideration where they should be taking something something into consideration.
0: Thank you so much for that, Jeff. You talked a little bit about how the goal of architecture is to satisfy the business needs. Can you talk a little more about what the business goal is and how tools like Salesforce and Cino or Kafka are going to help us achieve those goals?
1: If you haven't heard it, I'm a little surprised, but most people have probably heard you know, so Our CEO, you know, he's got a a goal for the business, right, to go from not quite doubling, you know, the, the size of our portfolio, but it's let's call it close to doubling the size of our portfolio. So how do you essentially double the size of your portfolio and the ability to manage all of that, you know, from the customer interactions all the way to the technology that's used to make all of that happen or to enable at least making all of that happen? in a way that doesn't also, for example, double the complexities, double the resources that are required, you know, double the FTEs and so on and so forth. So you could say that's really the business goals. We want to nearly double our portfolio, but not double everything else. And so when it comes to technologies, you know, I've mentioned earlier, we, we want to select technologies that allow us to be more efficient and be more nimble, more agile, and allow us to you know change and adapt, you know, as our business needs change. And so, for example, that's kind of like where Salesforce came into play. You know, Salesforce came out of an initiative called the Sales Enablement Initiative. So our business goal of being able to essentially manage our sales in a, a much more efficient and better way. That, you know, that not only includes like a change in some of our sales processes, that actually also included you know change in a lot of our uh, team structures for folks related to sales so it's well beyond just the technology but salesforce is a platform that you know is built to be able to scale from small businesses to very very large business businesses businesses much larger than ours and the nice thing about salesforce is as we change our needs or directions down the road well it can change with us you uh, relatively easy you know nothing nothing comes for free but the nice thing about Salesforce is the way it's designed architected and provided to us we can kind of shift how things work much much more quickly rapidly and easily than maybe what we've done traditionally and so that's just one example I've already mentioned Encino and Encino brings a lot to the table as well because we don't have to essentially rebuild all the technology that we've already built through, you know, Agrolytic and AgDirect, Agrolytic, and so on. Essentially, we can lean on the the power that another platform provides and essentially, you know, again, nothing's for free, but essentially configure this platform to implement the, the sales processes that we want to put in place. And since we are, you know, relying on configuration versus actual software coding, you know, the... The hope and desire, and I'm sure it's going to play out this way, too, is that we can do that much more quickly, much more nimbly versus asking, you know, one or more applications development teams to go make a lot of changes in code, you know, as as business processes change, you know, down the road. And so when we're looking at technologies, we're kind of favoring the spectrum, if you will, if you think about a spectrum of uh, one side of you got kind of like uh, you'll you'll hear this term clicks as code you know I hear that a lot with Salesforce but basically that just means hey we want to implement some kind of capability for the business well we can do that through configuration basically mouse clicks if you will instead of writing code the other end of the spectrum you know is an applications development team creating something brand new you know building it from the ground up the the, the entire you um, project or product, whatever it is, you know, taking it through all the testing and all the deployment capabilities, all of that stuff that goes into developing something brand new. So as you might expect on that spectrum, one side is more quick more quick, and uh, probably cheaper than the other side of the spectrum, which is going to take longer and, and likely cost more. So we're always trying to look at that balance and if we can basically provide what the business is after, whatever those needs are through configuration type, uh, for lack of a better term, or that clicks as code, then why not do that? Right. You know, it's going to be more efficient. We're going to get the value into the hands of our teammates and customers much more quickly and allows us to respond to market changes, you know, direction of a, our competitors and things like that much, much more quickly, be more agile, nimble and so forth. However, there are times where, you know, there are strategic advantages we want to bring to the table that we just can't get in an off the shelf solution. And that's where we might have to build something custom. And in those cases, we are most definitely going to do that because it makes sense to do that uh, because it can give us that competitive edge, you know, over our, our competitors out there in the market. Now, somewhere in between all of that spectrum, you know, comes the third party tools that you might purchase. You know, we, we've already purchased Salesforce, but that's kind of on that one side of the spectrum, building something custom on the other side. But we talk about technologies, you know, again, I'll bring up event-driven architectures. You know, so when it comes to event messaging platforms, you know, we we obviously, we purchased Kafka. Uh, well, we purchased the tool Confluent, which is a managed provider of Kafka, to essentially act as our event or messaging bus for the solutions that we're designing. Well, we didn't want to go build a messaging solution, right? There's multiple messaging capabilities out there. And we, we already had a couple in-house. We've used Microsoft's message um, queue or, or MSMQ for years. We've also used RabbitMQ in a limited manner for the past couple of years, give or take. But we wanted to move to something in this case that was a little more broad, that has, you know, a lot more user adoption and essentially more capabilities than what we've had in the past. And again, rather than building something, we settled, settled on a third-party solution. Uh, and that's just one example. You know, there's lots of other examples, especially in that integration space. You know, when we talk about, you know, Salesforce uh, being implemented, well, Salesforce doesn't just sit by itself. We have a lot of data, you know, within our own private data center that has to interact with Salesforce. Some of it moves into Salesforce. Some of it comes out of Salesforce. And so we have a lot of integration tools. And so, for example, we've uh, purchased a tool called Boomi. It's by the company Dell. So you think about the, you know, like Dell computers. It's, it's that company. So they have a tool called Boomi, which allows you to essentially set up uh, integrations through again kind of that clicks as code so it's a a low code no code solution for setting up integrations you know you don't have to go in and write a bunch of code to make it work you just kind of design that configuration and within the Boomi designer to make those types of things happen we also utilize a a tool called uh, click replicate for you know quickly setting up uh, for example change data capture or cdc type scenarios you know we want to quickly capture the data that's getting modified in one database and maybe move it into Salesforce. You know, so rather than having to rely on app dev team to write code to make that happen, you know, you can quickly use something like Click Replicate and Boomi and get that stuff into Salesforce with essentially no coding. So those are the types of tools we're looking at where we can bring efficiencies, you know, to the entire solution design or solutions architecture process and there's lots more examples of that. You know, Salesforce itself has its own low-code, no-code solutions within its own platform, like Salesforce Flow and things like that. You know, jumping to other cloud providers for a moment, you know, recently we we made the decision to move forward with Azure as our preferred cloud platform moving forward, at least for the time being, right? You know, nothing's ever permanent. You know, who's to say a few years from now we're not on AWS, but right now we're on Azure. And Azure has a plethora of, you know, low-code, no-code capabilities or services within its platform. And when and where it makes sense to make use of these various low-code, no-code solutions, we will we'll do that because it brings efficiencies, allows us to more quickly adapt to the changing needs of the business, and more importantly, the ability to, you know, answer the the changes in the market direction, if you will. So we can. make sure we're at least keeping up with, if not outpacing our competitors.
0: So Jeff, you've talked a little bit about the technologies that are in play right now. Can you tell us a little more about the experiments that teams are doing with these technologies?
1: One of our earlier experiments was in Azure and that's with our automated valuation model or AVM. We decided to build this automated valuation model or AVM inside of Azure, essentially as an experiment, if you will, to kind of help prove out not only the capabilities of some of the Azure services, and we didn't use a ton of them, but also just to kind of help us start shaping what that whole continuous integration, continuous deployment, and DevOps type process might look like when it comes to building things in the cloud. And more recently, we've also started some similar experiments again on AVM. And so, to back up a little bit, the original AVM, we were using Azure SQL, as well as, I believe, Azure Functions. We deployed an API as a container using Azure app services. So we used several of Azure's capabilities or services within the first experiment. More recently, and I shouldn't call that experiment necessarily, because that did go to production. It is running in production. More recently, uh, within Azure, we want to have the capability of doing some of that change data capture, or CDC, that I mentioned earlier. Well, Azure SQL, the fully managed version of SQL inside of Azure, does not support CDC. So, to get CDC within Azure, the next logical step up is what's called Azure SQL Managed Instances, which does support CDC. So there's a team currently working on that just to kind of prove that out that, hey, yes, we can use Azure SQL managed instances and yes, you know, click replicate, which is the tool we use for CDC will work with it and so on and so forth. Uh, So that's one that's currently in progress. And, uh, you know, assuming that all pans out and it very most likely will pan out, that will kind of turn into, you know, the reference architecture, if you will, for how we do databases within Azure for anything that requires CDC. If you don't require CDC, well, then great. We've got Azure SQL. We've already proven that one out. Uh, Azure Functions, we've used in a couple places now. And we've also, you know, deployed some APIs as a container with inside of uh, Azure App Services. Some of the places we're also starting to experiment in and do some things in is Azure Container Instances. So the ability to deploy containers uh, inside of Azure. And Azure has multiple ways of managing containers or are running containers for you. So Azure Container Instances or ACI is probably one of the simpler ways because you just kind of give it your your image that you want to run and it just does everything for you. Um, There's another level up from that called Azure Container Services or AKS or Azure Kubernetes Services, AKS. And we haven't made use of that yet, but I have no doubt we will at some point. But we have a proxy running inside of Azure Container Instances today for use with Confluent Kafka because we needed uh, something that was kind of Kafka aware from a proxy point of view and it was actually something that was very easy to spin up and do inside of ACI or Azure Container Instances. And so that will likely also become part of a reference architecture here in the relatively near future. So that's kind of a couple areas there. On the Salesforce side, it's primarily been around some of those integration tools I mentioned earlier, and and I would say those have kind of gone beyond the experimentation point at, at this stage. They started out that way was, hey, can we use, you know, Dell Boomi and Click Replicate and Kafka and all of that to get data in and out of Salesforce in multiple ways. In some cases, we've got APIs dropping messages on Kafka queues that then get picked up through, you know, Dell Boomi and pushed into Salesforce. We've got cases where, you know, Click Replicate's picking up CDC events off a database as things happen and getting dropped in, you know, either into Kafka queues or directly into Boomi and then into Salesforce and then vice versa, pulling things out of Salesforce. So there's a lot of integration patterns that are getting ironed out right now and that will also turn into reference architectures. So once we get through this initial release of Salesforce, we'll have, you know, a decent amount of reference architectures that'll come out of that which will actually make it that much simpler for, you know, teams down the road, let's say, you know, weeks or months from now, to essentially replicate the same type of capabilities rather than having to go out and rediscover everything that needs to be done. We'll have that all nicely documented in a way that shows here's the patterns you can follow, and this works, and this doesn't, and that type of thing.
0: So Jeff, as a team that's looking to start working with some of these technologies, where do I look for guidance or a reference architecture?
1: Sure, yeah. So uh, the easiest way right now is probably just, you know, talk to us, talk to anyone on the solutions architecture team or within the architecture review team itself. You know, we're all very familiar with, you know, what's going on, what's been, you know, approved, if you will, for use now versus things that are still kind of in the the vetting out stage. You know, I mentioned uh, StackShare earlier in our discussion, you know, and StackShare is something we hope to have stood up here, you know, I'll just say in the next month or so, within the next few weeks to a month or so. And that will also be a great, great reference. And it'll actually be kind of the, the source of truth, if you will, of what is, ready now for use or what's actually being vetted out. And, you know, I mentioned some of the various Azure services, you know, as Azure services get proven out, we'll make sure those are in Stackshare saying, hey, these are ready for use. If they're still being worked on, they might be in Stackshare, but they'll be flagged as, you know, hey, these are being worked on, don't don't use them yet, you know, kind of thing. So those are a couple approaches. Talk to us, you know, utilize Stackshare once it, you know, hits the streets here soon. But then also we've got you know reference architectures out there published on the solutions architecture team we site that also outline you know multiple technologies that are you know ready to be used today and those also will reference um, existing projects that have made use of those reference architectures, which make it easy to not only go see you know actual live code things that have been published to production, for example, that, that implemented those, but then you also have ties to a team. Um, that have experience behind that. So that's another resource as well. And then I also think it's worth calling out, you know, also on the solutions architecture team, we've got published or linked to there um, a set of architecture principles that have been combined across all the architecture domains. So you've got, you know, security principles, data principles, you know, solutions architecture principles, cloud principles, kind of the, the full gamut and that is also a great place to go and understand kind of where from a high level where architecture um, is kind of heading, if you will. So it'll call out things like event-driven architectures as an example. You know, we, we beat on that one a lot because that's one we want to make sure we're keeping in mind. But I would highly recommend, you know, anyone interested, go check out the architecture principles because any guidance that the architecture team provides they're all ultimately going to be essentially derived from those principles they're all going to be pushing things in the direction that really satisfies the spirit of what those principles are are calling out so if you are familiar with the architecture principles and you know understand them then that also allows you especially as like lead developers for example to make design decisions that you know are pretty much going to be in line with what architecture is striving to achieve across the organization and then another great resource and place where you can actually go and get kind of involved if you will is in Microsoft teams there's the architecture team within there and that's a, an open team anyone in the organization can join it and the architecture review team are all part of that and you know there's lots of conversations going on in the channels within that team um, things that are being vetted out or talked about or, you know, decisions being made. All of that stuff takes place there. The, the decisions are documented there, so on and so forth. So it's also a great resource to, to see kind of what's going on and who's involved.
0: Thanks a lot, Jeff. This has been great. As we wrap this up, is there anything that we should be looking out for in the near future in terms of milestones?
1: As I mentioned before, a lot of teams, a lot of teammates, a lot of efforts gone into getting Salesforce to the point where it's ready to be utilized, you know, across the organization. So you'll be seeing that come up soon. And when that happens, you know that a lot of the tools we've talked about are, will be live and running in production, and we'll be learning a lot from that. I'm, I'm sure we'll make improvements along the way, I have no doubt, but but the fact that we get there is gonna be pretty amazing. And it won't be too far behind that, that we'll have our initial launch or initial phase of Encino launched as well for the agri, agribusiness capital portion of the portfolio which will be making use of some of the similar tools and patterns and so on and so forth there's those probably the two biggest things that are coming you know in the very near future beyond that you know i mentioned earlier you know you're going to start seeing a lot of reference architectures getting published around all of these various integration patterns that we're making use of as well as a lot of the the cloud uh, adoption patterns that we've been talking about with azure so i'll be watching for those as well
0: Thanks so much for that, Jeff. We all know there's a lot changing in our technical stack and our environments. How we go about finding the right tools will be a process where we learn a lot along the way. For the rest of our listeners, continue to look for information from Jeff and from the Solution Architecture team to hear more about the roadmaps of our products and keep watching for some of the milestones Jeff mentioned along the way. Thank you so much for listening in and let us know what you think or what questions you might have. Thank you.